0: And good morning, everyone, and welcome to Small Biz Matters, the half-hour program where you work on your business rather than in it. My name is Alexi Boyd, your trusted business advisor, lover of all things admin, and would you believe it, small biz owner myself. Today, we've got a fantastic guest, which I'm very excited about and have been looking forward to having on the show. He's one of those people that when you meet uh, are incredibly giving and incredibly generous with their time, their spirit, their energy, uh, and without uh, positioning him as a life coach right now, (laughs) Um, it's, it's a fantastic... Uh, position to be in when you meet people like that in business because they're the people who help you build relationships and uh, I'm hoping that he's going to give some of that information and expertise to my listeners today. So what we're talking about today is uh, thinking about the future when it comes to your business planning and I'm not talking about that 30 page document that's sitting in the bottom drawer at the moment but I'm actually talking about planning for your future. When we talk about our future we talk about of course our families future. When did you really think about your long-term plan? How many years are you planning to work for? Uh, are you even putting money aside for, for your own super? There's a scary thought. I, As a bookkeeper, I, I find a lot of people don't even do that because they're self-employed. Um, and is there an end goal? So we have very specific challenges as small businesses. We have, obviously, we, we know about all the hats we have to wear, uh, the delegation that we have to do but often don't, um, but something we have to... Own ourselves and think about ourselves is our financial future. And we're so focused on working our own, on our own business that we don't think about um, what the next step is in 5, 10, 15 years or what the end goal is. Uh, there's a lot of anchors as well. So a well planned property investment can serve as a bit of a safe point. So you can think about. Um, Thinking about property investment isn't just oh okay. Well, I've got to start saving for a deposit. It's more than that. It's a lot more planning and it's a lot more forethought. And that's what today's uh, today's guest is going to bring to us today. So welcome to the show, Daniel, first of all. Thank
1: you, Alexi. you to be here.
0: Now, you work with uh, a great company called DPM and um, that's, uh, it's funny though, because when when we met and when we, we chatted about your business journey originally, um, I, that's what I find fascinating about my guests is quite often you think, oh, okay, you, you know, you, you're a photographer so you must have been in advertising and then you've got to advertise, advertising in But the last time I've had people like that on the show, they have completely different journeys that you wouldn't have imagined. Mm-hmm. And what I find fascinating about about your small business journey is that you're actually a restaurateur.
1: Correct. As yes. well as.
0: So as you well haven't as. even put that hat aside. You're like the multitasking king. I mean, I don't know anyone who is in the restaurant business can do anything but own one restaurant and then sort of struggle through that. But you, you've got multiple restaurants that you own plus...
1: I do, yes. You're very
0: heavily involved in a lot of networking groups. Absolutely. <laughs> so what what led you to this uh, journey where you feel that um, you want to benefit other people with property investment I mean that for me that's just a bit of a disconnect where did that how did that come into your yeah, life
1: certainly so uh I guess um my journey started started at working for myself about 17 years ago and uh I think I started off like a lot of small business owner, operators. It wasn't even about the money. I just wanted to work for myself. You mm. know, I didn't like being told what to do. And uh, I see that and, in you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you just, just want to make your mark in the, in the sand. And uh, I didn't really think about what the future would hold. And I thought that hospitality would be something that suited me because it was what I was doing when I was going through university, through my undergraduate and through my postgraduate. And uh, I just thought, yeah, look, I love it. I'm going to do it and there was some faint idea in the background that I was going to, you know, get rich from this thing but I never really planned it out and I actually very quickly discovered that uh, hospitality is one of the most unforgiving industries. I know, uh, all of you small business operators out there work incredibly hard, but I can certainly say, restaurateurs, oh, bar operators—I don't think a... you'll
0: find anybody arguing with that. I mean, that it's a tough industry; it's got the highest failure rate Absolutely. and the highest—you know, it, it's very, it's very difficult. And a lot of business owners out there don't pay themselves for many mm. years. They mm-hmm. just tread water. Mm. But that's not your instance because you obviously have multiple businesses now. You have multiple um, restaurants that yeah, through that process.
1: I've set up and, and built up and sold uh, 12 hospitality businesses over the last yeah, 17 years. They haven't all been a success. Uh, I'm currently sitting at about a seventy percent success rate. So you know there've been a few, a few dozen, a few failures, which I try not to tell too many people about. But uh, <laughs> except
0: for the hundreds of people listening, yeah.
1: <laughs> no names will be named today. But um, yeah, I think actually the the impetus for me to to get into property investing myself and to assist others was the anxiety that I uh, suffered. As a result of going through some bad, having some bad business decisions, and just working incredibly hard in my business, and uh, one of my epiphanies was when I actually started to have some success in my in my bars and my restaurants, and generate a little bit of cash, and um, discover this thing called property, and understanding that I could take the money that I was making from my my restaurants and use that to invest. And then having this light bulb moment that my business wasn't actually working in my restaurant businesses just to make money, it was actually using that as a vehicle to generate income to then build real assets. So I think it was that light bulb moment that I had and that would have been probably mm, about eight years ago now and starting my investing journey uh, that's given me the you know desire to want to help other people. I see so many people struggling, not just in hospitality in lots of different businesses and uh, I just think if if I could help to take you on a journey like I've been on myself, that would really be of some use. So
0: the thing that I find uh, the disconnect. I mean, obviously you're incredibly driven. You you would, and you strike me as someone who would be an incredibly good manager. So I know that seventy percent success rate would have a lot to do with the way you manage your people. And I, I'm just going to share a little moment that we had mm. um, over over drinks that time when we had our meeting, and there was a lovely moment where one of your head waiters came over just to check on us and see if we needed anything, mm. but you. You could instantly see that rapport and so I believe that you know in hospitality you have to have obviously that rapport with mm. your staff and and make sure that you hang on to them and and that they feel loved and nurtured. Um, is that something that you bring to the business world when you're making those connections that I mentioned at the beginning of the program?
1: I think anyone that's really um, you know, got a bigger vision for their business, mm. I think they are doing that, absolutely.
0: And um, that's part of the success, that 70% success rate. Certainly, right? yeah. Certainly not across the board with hospitality <laughs> by any means. Of
1: course, yeah. yeah. Um, I've got 46 staff across two businesses at the moment. This is outside of my work with uh, with DPN, outside of my property work. And I knew uh, quite a while ago that if I was going to be able to fulfil my vision and and, you know, get to my end goal, I would need to give my team ownership, um, and that was, the, that was the start of that process, is just having this idea that all the ideas shouldn't be mine, all of the direction shouldn't be mine. In fact, the more that I would give to my team, to my management, to my exec chefs, the more they'd take that and run with it and make it th- th- their own, and now they're not working for a paycheck. They're working because it's, it's their baby. Mm. Uh, and I see myself in the business as more of just a guide and a mentor now, and I spend... Maybe a couple of hours on a Monday and a couple of hours on a Friday with my team, and it's more just a standing on the sidelines like a coach more yeah. than anything and, and allowing them to do what they do really well
0: and that's and that's fantastic just sharing us with well some of those insights into managerial styles because I think that that's when we're out of the corporate world or we've had a nasty experience in the corporate world and been poorly managed, which is half the reason why a lot of people leave mm. uh, it's nice to hear that you can um, share with us some of those managerial techniques as a small business owner because we all look after contractors and some of us look after staff mm. and there's no reason why you can't bring them into that, that journey with you and Absolutely. not have, be a complete control freak. And, <laughs>
1: yeah, and they don't need to be a direct employee either. I mean, uh, I know there are a lot of small business owners who have you know sub-10 employees or even sub-5 employees, but it's still important to have this idea that you delegate to the people that do it the best mm. and that might mean outsourcing for example you know mm. out, instead of answering the phones yourself you send that to someone else mm. someone else that does it well and also cares to do it well because mm. that's their bread and butter um it might go to an independent contractor that just works part-time mm. you know, and they, it might be a, just something as simple as outsourcing your bookkeeping mm. um just to, to an expert that really loves to do that that's they wake up and they live eat and breathe
0: those crazy fantastic
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah De- um, delegating, outsourcing and empowering. I yeah, guess that'd be definitely. A, be now, a just
0: take me back a little bit because you mentioned before that there was that starting point, that that nugget and that moment and I think that, that maybe a lot of small businesses are sort of sitting there going, I'm just waiting for that moment to hit me. Mm. I'm just waiting whether or not it be there's an opportunity that I find out about magically about a piece of property that's definitely going to or is it because I've got to start working on my nest egg and I've got to have some some money in the bank to get started Mm. where does that ball start rolling is it meeting the right people is it connecting with the right uh dpns of the world or whatever it is how does that small business owner make that huge leap of faith and just saying okay i think property investment for example is the way to go um, Mm. and this is how i'm going to start the journey because i think that first step is always the most difficult
1: certainly um I think um, Baby Steps is incredibly important, it's what we do on a on an hour by hour, day by day basis to want to make ourselves better, and make our businesses better, but I also think uh, I would say if there's one thing that we could do today to make tomorrow better, it's allocating the first part of our day to plan, um, 5 minutes, 10 minutes, half an hour, and it means thinking what do I want tomorrow? Today I'm going to plan not just for the rest of my day but tomorrow and next week and extrapolating that out as far as you possibly can and then looking at, you know, what do I want in one year? What do I want in five years? The question that I most love, love to um, ask my clients is, where's this whole thing going? Mm. And then the response is normally follows this progression. The first thing they say is, oh, well, this week I'm doing this. And I'm like, no more, further, longer. Like, t- let's talk about bigger than that. Then they go, well, this year I want this. No, give me more. Tell me, like, tell me about your longest, best possible timeline. And then they tell you what they really, really want, which is they want to retire at 55 instead of 65. They're mad golfers and they've got this dream to play on every, uh, you know, the top 12 best courses in the world uh, or they're fishermen and they want to buy a, you know, 28-foot cruiser and just spend four days fishing. And it's when you get to those questions, to the really, really to the heart of the matter, and they say, this is what I want as a lifestyle, then you can start to build backwards from that. And it's like, well, let's put a cost to that. What's it going to actually cost you to have this lifestyle, to to take your wife away for three months of the year? Your hus- in, or
0: your husband. <coughs>
1: uh, or your husband. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, what What does that lifestyle look like? Let's really put that vision up on the board and let's break that down and monetize it. And now we're doing some really good work here because um, you've got people actually thinking now, oh, well, this is going to cost real money. And here I am working for myself thinking, well, yeah, it's great. I'm working for myself. No one tells me what to do. And I'm trying to get rich, but I don't actually, I haven't really mapped out how I'm get, going to get to that number in 15 or 20 or 25 years time. And I think that is the most important thing right now. And you don't need to think about property or shares or whatever your thing is. The most important thing is beginning with the end in mind and having that, that idea of where the journey ends how it looks like for you and what it's going to cost you.
0: Yeah, exactly. We're going to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters. Um, You're listening to myself, Alexi Boyd here on Triple H 100.1 FM. And after the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about property investment and what that step-by-step process is and what you need to have in place before you start making that journey. You're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM. So let's get back to the program today. We've got a fantastic guest here, uh, Daniel. Just before the show, we were talking about the importance of understanding how property investment works. as a small business owner, and thinking about the end goal in mind. Daniel was sharing with us his journey of being a restaurateur, of all things, um, and having a very high success rate with his uh, with his business and his work, which is super exciting. Um, so, Daniel, let's go through the, the process of... You've made that decision. You've gone, okay, I want to retire in 25 years. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming everyone here who's listening is 30. Let's be more realistic. I want to retire... <laughs> In 20 years, because I'm more like 35, 45. And do you sit there, and I can only do this with spreadsheets. I'm Mm -hmm. sorry, I am a bookkeeper. Do you sit there with a spreadsheet? Do you count out the weeks from when you literally want to retire and then go, there's the weeks. This is what you earn now. This is what you've got to put aside. This is when you need to make that investment happen, Mm. if it's not happened already. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is where the projections happen. I mean, who has all that data?
1: Uh. You make it sound so difficult, Alexia. It's
0: because I said the word spreadsheet because <laughs> your brain went, oh, my God, no spreadsheet. I oh, know.
1: As soon as you think about a spreadsheet, <laughs> your brain just stops working. Uh, it, it, that is essentially what we do. And I, I guess um, to do that across everything, you really want to have a, a financial planner there. But certainly with respect of just focusing on property, it is a little bit easier than that. Um, you know, there are some basic numbers that we want to work with here. And um, the first number that we want to work with is understanding what our asset base is now, an asset being an investment property Mm. and understanding what that's going to be worth in the future. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it increases over time due to this wonderful thing we have in Australia called inflation. And crazy property prices. And crazy property prices. And then we also want to understand what our return is going to be on that asset, Uh, return being the rental income that we get minus any expenses that we have Mm -hmm. and how that also grows over time because you're... uh, Good landlord, but you put your rent up uh, at least alongside CPI every year. And then you look at that asset in 25 years' time and you say, well, that returning me an average return of 4%, which is a, a number, sort of like a, a realistic number.
0: Is it conservative? I think it's a I'm conservative I'm a fan of number. conservative planning.
1: Yeah. I've heard that if you've got a portfolio returning you 6%, you're really outperforming the market. Uh, okay. But I think long-term over, and I mean 20, 30, 40 years and beyond, if you use the number 4%, that's after all of your costs. I think that's a that's kind of like a realistic conservative number to work with. Mm-hmm. So if you can imagine um, a common number that my clients come up with that I like to retire on is say, uh, you know, $1,000 a week as passive income that they're getting. Yep. So that's going to work out to $52,000 a year, mm-hmm. um, which you're looking at about a two uh, – what are we looking at? So in, in today's terms, that's about $1.3 million worth of uh, property. But, of course, in 20 years' time, um, taking inflation into, into play, it's going to be almost double that. So you're never going to save there, right? You no, can never, I'm
0: never going to have $2.6 million, $2. million. No, I think.
1: if you divide that by 25 years, I think it works out to be maybe eighty or not eighty or $90,000 a year. My wow. maths isn't very good yeah. on the fly like that. Um, you just can't save that sort of money. So the idea is to get that asset under your belt as soon as you can and let the, the, uh, the power of time do all of the heavy lifting for you and just make sure that the return that you're getting on that asset as it grows, uh, you're also putting your rent up as well. And mm-hmm. you'd be surprised, you only really need, you know, to get to quite a healthy number, you only really need maybe one investment property now and maybe one in your self-managed super fund a little bit later on down the track when you've and building up, that up when to a healthy level. Super, when you've yeah. been paying your own super. you've been paying your own super and I think we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Mm. Um, and all of a sudden you've got a, a nice healthy passive income there. Yeah.
0: So at the beginning you mentioned the importance of having understanding what your abilities are. Now you can't do that unless everything's up to date. Mm-hmm. And I mean so many times uh, people approach good accountants or good bookkeepers and say I'm completely behind. So mm. this is not something you can even get your head around until you've got all of your basses up to date, your, mm. your taxes done. I mean, I know a lot of small businesses say, well, I've got until the following May mm-hmm. to get my tax done. Mm. That's nuts. That is. I mean, you've just got, if you're up to date with your BASs and everything is locked in and you've, you've done it as accurately as possible. And apart from the creative accounting that accountants do at the end of the financial year, mm. why don't you just hand it over? So I think, in a way, um, the BAS process is actually a bit of a gift. I keep saying this to my clients. It's a good Mm. thing because it forces you to keep everything up to date. Mm. And that's crucial in order to understand what your financial position is, in order to be able to understand what you're capable of in terms of these investments. Now, the way you were talking before, you, you made it sound like, oh, okay, you just you you buy the property and then you have some expenses but generally that's covered you still need to be prepared for when things when there's a rainy day when you don't have tenants or something goes amiss or
1: certainly yeah how do you
0: factor that into the calculations Uh, i
1: think you use the perfect language it's it's a rainy day fund you know you just again Being small business owners, we need to be very mindful of our resources and our finances and it's just about having a certain amount of your holdings and that can sit in your offset account as well. Mm. But you've got a certain amount of cash that's sitting there at all times and think about the worst case scenario, all of my tenants move out of all of my properties tomorrow and no one moves back in for three months.
0: And that's how you get the number. You literally go, all my tenants are out, multiply that by the three months of rent I have to cover. Yeah. For what sure. about um, if there's any major maintenance? Should you also be putting aside things for like a sinking fund for your property as well?
1: Uh, so I'm a very big advocate of not buying old property. Okay. Uh, I've seen too many people buy that you know beautiful dream little terrace place down in you know insert beautiful inner west suburb here or yeah. low north shore suburb here, and um, you know the dream looks fantastic from the outside, and then you find out you've got concrete rot, or you find out you've got rising termites. damp or yeah. termites or those things that slug you for five or ten thousand dollars, and they've wiped literally can wipe out years of, um, of of earnings of income. So the the best way to remediate that is to to, to buy new or close to new if you can. Um, okay, so mm.
0: you are you a, a fan of off the plan? I, like I
1: just made a fan. I'm of um, wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say I'm a fan of off the plan units. Uh-huh. In, major cities where there's a large oversupply Yeah. but certainly I do love land and build um, in upcoming suburbs where you know state government's putting in lots of infrastructure and there's a massive job <laughs> Oh boom. That magic
0: I word, infrastructure. Yeah. Who, who'd have thought it? Planning.
1: Oh, I can see we're going to get off topic now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's only because <laughs> I live in Mount Cola that I'm having a bit of a rant.
1: Yeah but uh, it, look it's really important to understand uh, the, the great Australian dream is still alive and People want a front yard, a backyard, a dog, a veggie patch, and they don't want to pay ridiculous, you know, city prices for a shoebox. Mm-hmm. And that is actually a statistical fact because mm-hmm. you can see this mass migration to areas where there is still land available, and you can still uh, purchase a family home around that median. And the median being, you know, that five to seven hundred range, not the million dollars or more that Sydney house prices still are. And you know that's what's driving the volume and driving the growth in these suburbs. And then you can see. Well, theoretically, the infrastructure is going there. It is. There, there's, there's rail projects and there's road projects and there's parks and schools and hospitals and Air Force bases and military bases being um, uh, increasing in size, hospitals doubling in size up in Newcastle, for example. Mm-hmm. So um, they're the areas that uh, I like in particular and also buying new or building in those areas so that we can have something that's going to be headache-free because, you know, as a small business owner, the last thing you need to deal is with, with stuff like that. Yeah, with,
0: the ten or $15,000 bill. Yeah, and
1: it's just the time as well. It's the stress. Um, An investment should be as stress-free as possible. That's mm. really important. So uh, dealing with that, even... Even if you've got a property manager, it's just not something that should be on your radar.
0: And that's mm. something that you, you we were talking about in the prep for the show is that it's really important that you take the emotion out of investing. So on the one hand, as small business owners, we're incredibly passionate about what we do and mm. and very, I guess, more emotional than the corporate giants are when it comes to their to their businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to be able to take that step back. Would you agree?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, It's wonderful to be passionate about our businesses uh, and we should certainly never lose that and and never treat that as otherwise. It's that passion that actually makes our business great. But the idea of uh, an investment, a property investment, is it's a plan B and it should be completely rational. You need to just look at the numbers and assess your investment uh, as to how it's performing financially. Mm. And um, an investment property is not something with a white picket fence in a leafy green suburb that, you know, does all of these things and you, you know it's close enough that you can drive by so you can check on it because you know when you look at it that's what makes the value go up right
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah drive by
1: yeah do drive by you know that the, the uh the value's just gone up 20 percent because we go and look at it every weekend it's not like that at all it's got to be a completely rational decision based on um is this investment going to go up the capital growth mm-hmm. can i rent it and can i keep it rented for all? Indefinitely mm-hmm. is it got appeal, and mm-hmm. also can I get the rental return on it that I expect to not only take care of my my costs, but actually to leave me some money left over to pay me some income? Um, and if it doesn't do those things, you know, I don't care whether it's got a picket fence or not; it's not for you.
0: Mm. Well, let's go back right to the beginning. You've made the decision. Uh, you've you've looked through your finances. You've worked out what it is, what your end goal is. Mm. You've worked out what you can afford. <laughs> the big hurdle, mm-hmm. and I'm going to say it's absolutely massive for most of us with small businesses. Mm. Borrowing. Yeah. I mean, the bank looks at us, literally turns around and, you know, Turns walks their away. nose up.
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. And I
0: know there's more options than just banks. hmm And I guess this is where we start talking about the importance of surrounding yourself with good people. Yeah. Um, and I guess a good mortgage broker is, is what we're leading to here. Is that Certainly. is that really what we're talking about?
1: So, you're absolutely right, Alexi. We need to surround ourselves with the best people resources that we have, as well as the, the, the best financial resources that's your bookkeeper and your accountant you know have this conversation before you even start your investment journey hey guys i I'd, I'd like to buy some investment property we need to make my books look fantastic i think uh, it's easy for us small business owners to be preoccupied with tax minimization and hiding money so we don't pay taxes yeah and uh, that will come back and bite you in the backside when you need to borrow money so um, you speak to your accountant your financial planner your bookkeeper and you say let's get this business looking tidy, Mm -hmm. let's make it presentable Mm -hmm. so that when a lender has a look at us and um, gets their uh, feeble, non-small business oriented minds around our our books, Mm. um, we look appealing. So they're the first people to speak with. The second one is a a fantastic mortgage broker that understands the needs of a small business person and they'll do things like, um, they also understand how to explain to a lender how to do things like adding um, depreciation on your plant and equipment back. Uh, as income which a lot of lenders just fail to do you know if you your your uh, your return might say that you have you know written off fifty thousand dollars in equipment for example now that's actually money that it's actually sitting on your balance sheet as, a, as an asset but a lot of banks look at it and go oh well they've lost that money Mm. and you haven't lost that money at all. So a really good small business mortgage broker will take care of you in that respect. They'll also go to banks who look at um, just one year of financials. Mm -hmm. So say, for example, you're in your, your second or your third year of business and your first year was an absolute disaster, but your second or third year is actually looking quite good now. Uh, there are a couple of lenders out there that will just look at that. So that's really important as well, understanding... But doesn't
0: that mean you need a bigger deposit? If they're only looking at... I don't know, I, literally, I just have no clue. I'm I'm like my listeners right now, having no idea about how this works. Uh, not necessarily,
1: not necessarily. There are a couple of lenders out there that are very sympathetic and understanding to small business, and there are some that aren't. And I'm not going to name any names Pity. here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know who you are.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening. But yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing, and I think that's the biggest hurdle because, um, yes, you're absolutely right. We try and make minimise tax, mm. but we don't do it with the end goal in mind. Mm. So if mm. this is what we're looking at doing then maybe because we're coming up to May when we're all finally getting ready, I just have no clue. I'm, I'm like my listeners right now, having no idea about how this works. Uh,
1: not necessarily. Not necessarily. There are a couple of lenders out there that are very sympathetic and understanding to small business. And there are some that aren't. And I'm not going to name any names Pity. here. <laughs> uh, but you know who you are.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening. But yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. And I think that's the biggest hurdle because um, yes, you're absolutely right. We try and make minimise tax. Mm. but we don't do it with the end goal in mind. Mm. So if mm. this is what we're looking at doing, then maybe because we're coming up to May when we're all finally getting around to doing our tax from sixteen seventeen, which mm. might I remind everybody was eight months ago, you're starting to look at your financial position with that in mind, not with I'm trying to minimise the amount that I need to pay the ATO at the end of this.
1: Correct. Right. Absolutely. Okay. And uh, yes, unfortunately a lot of the time that might mean that we do pay more tax. Mm. Um, but the question that I ask people is that, you know, would you rather be paying $1,000 tax or $100,000 tax?
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. And you have to be careful as well because obviously you need to be able to service whatever it is and you mm. need to have that rainy day
1: um, mm.
0: um, amount in your mind as well. Yeah. And and what are the sort of setup costs costs? What, what's that pool of money aside from the deposit, mm. um, which de- varies on depending on what type of loan you get, it, it what do you need to have as a starting point just as I think okay I've got to get uh, an advisor I've got to get um what are your initial setup costs
1: so uh uh I'm assuming that uh, all of our listeners out there have a good accountant and a good bookkeeper
0: I would like to think so. Well, they're
1: listening to your program, so um, yeah. So that's so aside from those costs, um, if, and if you're doing your own research or bringing on an advisor that doesn't charge you for that, it's simply the cost of the property acquisition. So some people like using buyers agents. Uh, I'm not particularly a fan of that. It's hard to justify spending ten or twenty thousand dollars to access property that you can access for no cost yeah um just just with some research. some research and some good advice from people that you trust yep um and then the, the setup costs of course there there's the onboarding for the cost of the loan that can be anything from a small amount to several thousand dollars uh when you're building you've got some holding costs so as you're drawing down on your um on your loan there'll be a little bit of repayment there to cover the cost of the the um there are payments on the land and then as your builder is building for you there'll be a, a few thousand dollars associated like that. that that might be somewhere between eight and fifteen thousand mm-hmm. dollars on a five hundred thousand dollar property mm-hmm. um and we're
0: talking you've got that vision in mind of people are looking at land and and build packages I always at do. the moment uh, yeah
1: yeah i always do um if you're going to something existing those costs might be less but then you've also got things like pest control reports and and things like that so it, things do creep up
0: and yeah. a question for you i've always been taught by my dad hmm. um, that if you are ever looking at property you should never look at strata with a building that has a pool and a lift in it
1: that sounds like very wise advice from your dad well, there. well done dad yeah yep. good one dad okay absolutely. so you have to look
0: at your long-term strata costs if you are looking absolutely at, yeah
1: they're costs that um, add to the amenity of your tenant which is fantastic because you want to have a happy tenant but I think it's safe to say that those pools and spas and saunas and gymnasiums—they just don't get used. No,
0: exactly, and they're just yeah, they're a wide just elephant. sitting there,
1: and it's costing you know, it's costing you the owner money. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's something something to be very careful of.
0: But something um, that that perhaps strata units do do well, which is uh, some sort of a sinking fund. That's where you kind of do need to think. I just need to put something aside, either for the fact that the tenants are not there, or for some major repairs, or something like that.
1: Yeah, I th- the biggest uh money burner that i see um you know existing and and past clients getting into into other investments is they'll go into an old property uh they haven't gone back and looked through uh, you know enough of the history of the strata and then they just don't realize that there are a whole bunch of inherent issues there
0: yeah like concrete cancer like
1: concrete cancer yeah and all of a sudden you're putting in fifteen thousand dollars a year for the next five years
0: yes when there was no sinking fund previous when there was no or
1: there just wasn't enough money in there because no one had planned for it
0: yeah yeah
1: and then that's also uh that that this also snowballs because now you've got three or four people in your building who can't afford to to pay that money. So then they'll try and sell, and now all of a sudden the whole apartment block's got a, a just a whiff about it. Um, and they you go your chances of trying to sell and, and and make a profit. Yeah, if that's what you wanted to do. So yeah, it's uh, look in general apartments. Uh, Older apartments and especially off the plan apartments, they're certainly not for me. Mm. Um, I'm not saying they're not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, plenty of people have done very well out of. Um Uh, purchasing apartments off the plan or otherwise. But there are a lot of things to be aware of.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, that's fantastic advice. We're going to go to a quick break here on Triple H 100.1 FM. When we come back, we're going to dive into the world of self-managed super funds using that uh, money to purchase property. Just a a couple of um, top line issues you need to be aware of. You are listening to Triple H 100.1 FM. My name is Alexi Boyd. We'll be back after this. And welcome back to Small Biz Matters, the half-hour program where you work on your business rather than in it. My name is Alexi Boyd. And if you if you've missed any of today's show which by the way has been fascinating you can catch up on our blogs and podcast page on smallbizmatters.com.au and another great way to get in touch is via our Facebook page we'll let you know when the podcasts become available and there's also some really fantastic articles and top tips from yours truly as well as um, the usual uh, cohorts of SMH etc. So we try and keep you informed as small business owners which is what the show is all about small business education and helping you on your journey. Now today's journey uh, with speaking with Daniel Sofo, who's talking about uh, the journey he's been on from a restaurateur many many moons ago, which he's still continuing on with uh, buying and selling many businesses. And Then ultimately thinking about his end goal in mind, which is what we're trying to encourage you to do today, which is thinking about property investment as an option when it comes to what to do with your retirement and how to to make sure all that happens. So one of the things I think we're all familiar with as small business owners is self-managed super funds because um, I was actually speaking to an accountant earlier this week who said He finds a lot of people who have self-managed super funds are not running it like a business. Mm. They don't actually think of outgoings, incomings, balance sheets and that's actually something they need to do and he he finds that he needs to educate his non-small business owner clients. So there's a, a sort of a piece of education or a a skill that you have as a small business owner that you can automatically apply Mm. to your self-managed super fund. Mm -hmm. So you know, what's in there, presuming you've been adding to it (laughs) (laughs) and and you've made the sensible decision, which is to have your own self-managed super fund instead of losing eight to 10% on fees and things like that Mm -hmm. from the big guys. So you see that as a real, um, asset to be utilized for the purposes of investing. Would you agree?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, In hospitality or food and beverage industry, there is a notorious lack of attention paid to just planning for the future in general, actually, and uh, employers see it as a slight to have to pay superannuation, sometimes to their employees, let alone themselves, and uh, I know there can be a general neglect amongst uh, small business owners to pay themselves last and to put money into their super as a very, very low priority. Mm. Um, But certainly when you know when your ship starts to sail right and there's some some nice money coming in it's a great way to to minimize tax you know the money that you're putting into your superannuation whether that's your own fund or, or someone else's funds uh, one of the big funds it's taxed at a very favorable rate
0: but uh, you've got to make sure it works for you because if you're sticking it in like a fund of some kind then mm. you kind of have this assumption that it's going to earn x amount of dollars
1: Absolutely. Even though
0: they have a million and one disclaimers on their ads, you get the feeling that they your money will appreciate at a certain level. Mm. But if you have a self-managed super fund, you've got to work that, don't you? You can't just expect it to...
1: The, it's if, not going to earn you
0: money in the bank.
1: Uh, that's correct, yeah. And uh, I mean, I'm not a financial planner and I'm not an accountant, so... Um, I'm just going to give some anecdotal evidence for myself and a couple of my clients as well for whom an SMSF strategy has worked. Um, but the strategy that I see working for a number of people is they've left their money and topped up their super in a in a large fund um, and... Over the last ten years, things have gone quite well, actually, and there haven't been those expenses or that need to keep a very close eye on it. And then, when they get to that amount of money where they can use that and invest in property, and that's about two hundred thousand dollars, that's when they'll roll it into their, um, you know, into an SMSF and oh, be a little okay. bit more active about it. Okay. Uh, so. Um, I think it's a good thing that our government has some really stringent regulations about how we behave with our super. I think that's, you know, it's fantastic that they force us to be diligent and very, very low risk. So um, the way that we can leverage our super money to make a purchase is much less than just buying a general property. Hmm. So you can borrow at 80 or 90, sometimes even more percent LVR L- um, with your own money, but when it's your superannuation money, you can only leverage to sixty percent or maybe seventy percent.
0: Is that because the banks look at it more favourably because they see it as a, a source that's there, and they just look at it as an individual kind of entity that self-managed super fund itself? And uh, they kind of I don't pay as much attention to you as they do to no, the fund.
1: No, I think it's more they want us to be careful with our money. Yeah, um, right. so they're not going to they're not going to lend as much money against our deposit. Also. Um, there are some quite new regulations which say that we might, must have 10% of our asset purchase price sitting in our um, self-managed super bank account. So that...
0: More favourably because they see it as a, a source that's there and they just look at it as an individual kind of entity, that self-managed super fund itself. They
1: uh, kind of I don't pay as
0: much attention to you as they do to the no, fund.
1: No, I think it's more they want us to be careful with our money. Yeah. Um, right. So they're not going to lend as much money against our deposit. Also, um, there are some quite new regulations which say that we must have 10% of our asset purchase price sitting in our um, self-managed super bank account. So that means, just to break it down, what it effectively means is if you've got $200,000 in super, Mm. you can buy a $450,000 property and you'll need $45,000 sitting there in cash as your rainy day fund oh. at all times. Yeah, okay, so that's actually
0: part of the regulations. It's part
1: of the regulations, that's yeah. Sensible. I think it's, It is very sensible, actually. Government doing something sensible. Yeah, yeah. And then um, it still leaves you around about, um, you know, sort of close to that 30% cash into the deal, which also will mean that um, if you've uh, purchased wisely and you're getting a good rental return, that's going to be close to or hopefully even comfortably covering your... Um, mortgage repayments on that property, Mm. which means it will remain a a lower stress, um, you know, a lower stress investment. You don't have to be tipping all of this extra money in your super fund every year just to keep the thing
0: afloat. um, But when you put that money into the super fund, um, like I'm trying to think of it as a practical point of view, you pay the money into the fund so that you've always got that back up there. So you need to continue putting money into the fund, obviously, as a super as a superannuation Absolutely.
1: I think that should be a a, a lifelong good habit to do that. And you
0: can't draw it out.
1: You can use it... In certain for the, ways, in, for the property, uh, for, yeah, or for, for maybe another acquisition down the track. Yeah,
0: yeah, um, yeah. But you're not allowed to use it as no, cash flow.
1: It's not a slushy fund. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You can't just decide to go go for a holiday to Greece this year. I'll just dip into my self managed super. and off the Yeah. Go. No, so you still not.
0: need to be careful about that because there's all the regulations to it. It's
1: already. highly regulated. Um, there is some expense uh, associated to be mindful of, and you're looking at about fifteen hundred bucks a year to have an independent auditor look over your activity. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does seem like, an, which is, I guess, like a fee in itself, and it does seem onerous, but it is important, you know. But you that's what I was saying
0: before as well, it's, is that if you behave and you use it, you keep the books like you would your own business mm. and you keep them up to date, yep. those fees would, should uh, be re- relatively minimal because you're not sort of handing over a shoebox of receipts. We know how stupid that is and how much that can cost mm. us with bookkeepers and accountants.
1: Absolutely. So
0: don't do the same thing with your self-managed super fund. Definitely Have it not. all running through the one system.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Absolutely. And if you can um, get your bookkeeper to look after all that for you, or you just even put it in zero or whatever you're yeah. using. Yeah, you, you can know, use you'd, anything. You need to pay for a few repairs or your tenant needs something or yep. something breaks or whatever it is. And it's all
0: there. And then all you do at the end of the year is go, accountant, there it is. Yep. Just have a look at it. Yep. So that comes back to what you were saying before the break about, about keeping everything up to date. Mm. So you've got to be mindful, I think is the takeaway from this section is that you've got to be mindful of the regulations. Mm -hmm. You've got to be mindful of what that pool of money that you must keep there Mm -hmm. and then also the pool of money that is probably sensible for a rainy day as Mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. You've got to be mindful that you can't just use it as a slushy fund. Yep. Um, And then the additional costs of of maintaining that self-managed super fund. And then you've got to invest in a good property that's going to make you money so it accumulates at the rate at which you well, want that to
1: is the most play on all the, the
0: golf possible. courses at the end of the day. <laughs> that's right. Yeah,
1: absolutely. <laughs> well,
0: that's a, that's a pretty good summation of everything we've pretty much covered today. And it's it's been an incredibly um, valuable journey, I think. Thank you for sharing with us your journey, your small business journey. Um, and it'll be great to have you back on the program again. We might dive a little bit into, in a few months' time, we might talk a little bit more about the different um, types of investment beyond property perhaps or you know a little bit more about your journey that you've been on when it comes to investment and how Lovely. you got to this well, point because be you share. didn't talk about your mum I did. and I <laughs> loved it when we when we had I came to one of your networking events, and that was a fascinating speech. Just about how. Uh, but you don't you want to see to a
1: grown man cry on radio. Yeah.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't, because that's you don't see anything on radio. Anyway, look, thank you very much for coming on the program. Tell us thank a little you, bit Alexa. about how people can find out more about you if they'd like to learn more about the DPN program and yourself. Yeah,
1: certainly. Well, I'm always up for a coffee and a chat. Um, I could talk about property investment endlessly, as you can probably tell today. Um, you can reach out to me um, via email: Daniel.Sofo at DPN au or just find me on LinkedIn, Daniel Sofo. My surname is spelled S-O-F-O, like sofa, but with an O at the end. Um, yeah, just love to chat with you.
0: Awesome. Cheers. Look, thank you once again for coming on the program. Those of you who missed any of today's show, you can, of course, catch up on our blogs and podcasts page on smallbizmatters.com.au and don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter because it'll keep in uh, keep you informed on all the events that are going on on the Upper North Shore. And if you have an event you'd like us to broadcast for you, then just get in touch via the website and we'll add it to our event calendar. We'll be back next week with a fantastic guest once again. We're in the middle of a guest first here on Smallbiz. You have been listening to Smallbiz Matters on Triple H 100.1 FM because it'll keep in uh, keep you informed on all the events that are going on on the Upper North Shore. And if you have an event you'd like us to broadcast for you, then just get in touch via the website and we'll add it to our event calendar. We'll be back next week with a fantastic guest once again. We're in the middle of a guest first here on Small Biz. You have been listening to Small Biz Matters on Triple H 100.1 FM.